can you make it affordable enough that kids can make it and take it home with them? So that kind of all kind of came together about a year or two, me posting things online and putting things in the mail. And it's kind of just grew on me. It, it grew very slowly and organically, which was nice. Welcome to Kids Lab, a podcast for parents, educators, and everybody interested in STEAM education. I am talking to Joshua Zimmerman, the founder of Brown Dog Gadgets. Brown Dog Gadgets sells inexpensive so-called make-and-take projects that kids can take home once they're finished with their classroom activities. Joshua is the founder of Brown Dog Gadgets in Brookfield, Wisconsin, USA. Originally a middle school teacher, Joshua found it very annoying as a teacher that all the fun science activities his students were doing had to be disassembled at the end of each class. This is pretty much how Brown Dog Gadgets came to be. As quickly mentioned, Brown Dog Gadgets specializes in make and take projects. These are things that kids create in the classroom and then can take home when finished. This is opposite to most other ad tech companies in the United States. Most of them sell expensive kits which are disassembled at the end of a project and then stay at school. The benefit of course is that kids can take ownership of their projects and will be more motivated and enthusiastic about their project. Also kids take home their projects to their families and friends and thereby learn and share the knowledge they acquired even more. Brown Dog Gadgets also developed a line of modular electronics called Crazy Circuits. Again, being a low-cost system, it is expandable and compatible with Lego blocks. In combination with conductive tape, students can work on simple circuit board-like projects, which are fun, easy to build, and easy to troubleshoot. As always, be sure to visit kidslab.dev for the companion blog post of this episode. The show notes include some product shots and workshop photos, as well as the links mentioned during this interview. So hi, Joshua. Um, thank you so much for taking the time. Welcome to the Kids Lab podcast. How are you these days? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm also pretty good. Pretty good. So we're still in Corona times. I hope you're still healthy and uh, making the best out of it. We're trying. So Joshua, uh, let's talk about brown dog gadgets. Uh, the first question that I really have to get this out of the way is why is it called brown dog gadgets? Do you have a brown dog in the office? Uh, we actually do have a brown dog. Uh, the name brown dog gadgets comes from uh, my parents, Labrador, who is a very brown dog and a very cute dog. She's also the uh, the mascot or the cartoon version of her is a mascot. And uh, we were trying to come up with a name years ago while I was still teaching. And finding a .com was kind of nice of a thing to do. So brown dog gadgets just kind of came together one day at the kitchen table while playing with my parents' Labrador. Uh, we currently have a Springer Spaniel in our office. He is brown and white. Uh, he's here every day in the other room right now, actually. Uh, but uh, he's he's not completely brown. It's just everyone loves a dog. Dogs are good mascots, and it's fun having a dog around. Awesome. But the dog is not doing any electronics or projects or so? Uh, no, I, I try to keep him away <laughs> from that. I think he's more apt to eat the parts than actually make anything interesting. Right. So um, in the intro, we already knew or figured out a bit that originally you've been a teacher and then at some point you got overrun by requests for these project kits. And that's how pretty much how Brown Dog Gadgets got founded. So can you explain in your own words how Brown Dog Gadgets came to be? 
So I was teaching middle school science, and I was trying to find some fun activities that my students could do in the classroom, but also things they could take home with them, which was really difficult back in 2010, 2011. Uh, I was very interested in all the really cool STEM and maker projects that were coming out, but kind of also depressed that I couldn't bring any of those into my classroom. I, I had no money to do that of my own. I didn't have any classroom money to spend on them. So I started developing projects and activities for my class and then posting those projects on instructables.com. And I think the first one was our solar cockroach was a easy soldering activity using a solar panel and a vibrating motor. So I posted that project and it got a lot of a lot of views. People liked it and people kept asking, do you have leftover components? Can I buy some from you? And I said, sure, why not? I can build a website and put things in the mail. And that's how things kind of got started. And after that, I kept looking for more activities I could bring into my classroom and make more classroom friendly. Because quite frankly, there's tons of really great maker and home and classroom projects out there. The problem is they might not be well enough put together for classroom use. The parts would be hard to find. Um, the activity may be well beyond the skill level of the students that they're trying to get involved, or it may use components that are honestly unique, um, that are just really expensive. So things like our bristlebots, for instance, yeah, the parts are all kind of common, but you need the right things to build the project at a price point that works for a classroom. And it was always kind of the the big issue for, for the teachers we were talking with, even on Instructables, was can you make it affordable enough that kids can make it and take it home with them? So that kind of all kind of came together about a year or two, me posting things online and putting things in the mail. And it's kind of just grew on me. It, it grew very slowly and organically, which was nice. So do you miss being a teacher? Yes and no. Um, on one hand, I miss being around middle school kids and interacting with them because it's really, really fun to watch them make a project. Because no matter how well you plan out an activity for kids, they're going to do it their own way. They're going to find some way that's different from your directions. And it's just really fun observing how they work and how they think and how they just figure out these little problems on their own. Because that helps me modify my directions and projects to be more kid-friendly, more, more kid-proof. Um, I don't miss dealing with the paperwork, the pay, the principals, and the parents. I like to say the, the many P's of teaching, it's always the P's that, that end up getting teachers unhappy and leaving the, the industry. Yeah. I also like sleeping in a little bit. I don't have to wake up as early for this job as I do for, uh, for I had to for teaching. Um, being alert and ready to go at 7 o'clock in the morning with 30 middle school kids was a lot to ask of me. Uh, I don't really wake up till about 8.30 um, just mentally in the day, no matter how much coffee I drink. Uh, it just takes my brain a little while to get rolling in the morning. So we, we talked a bit about make and take. Um, it really means that kids make it and then they kind of take their project home. And that's a specialty of brown dog gadgets. So why is this so important to take this stuff home? Well, I like to use the analogy that uh, STEM activities should really be like art class. And if you had a kid go into an art classroom, sit down and spend a couple of days molding and working and building a really great clay pot or clay sculpture. You went through the work, you went through the effort, you, you took the time to design something uniquely yours. And then when you're done of all this work that you did, you have to throw it away, essentially, put it back in the box. And, oh. and that's, that would be depressing. Um, you can imagine all the kids in, around the world making things in our class and being told, no, no, we have to throw those away when we're done. You can't take them home. You can't be proud of it. And I see that with kids doing science projects as well. They're putting a lot of time and effort, especially with the maker things, the things that are little more arts and crafts science that they're making these really cool projects. They really, they, they're proud of them. They're, they're happy. They're engaged. They're enthusiastic. They want to show these things off to their family. 
but they have to put it back in the box when you're done. So that was always my, my kind of depressing thing um, when I was a teacher, because, again, a lot of the really awesome STEM products out there were just way too expensive to have the kids take home with them. I also find, too, that if kids know that the thing they're making is theirs, that they're, they're, they own it when they're done, they're taking it home, they put more effort into it. It may not even be something they're conscious of. It's some co- subconscious that this is theirs. They own it, and they want to do a nice, nicer job with it. They want to put a little more energy into it because it's theirs. They get to keep it forever, and they want to make it you know, unique, different from everyone's around them, even if the underlying activity is identical for everybody. It's still uniquely theirs when they're done. And I think that's a good motivating factor for kids. And it's also important they can show off what they've done, that they can show off this work they did. Yeah, I totally agree with you. So let's discuss a few of these make and take projects. Um, for example, the Bristlebot kits. What is this all about? So Bristlebots, they're, they're not our idea. Those were done, I think, uh, evilmadscience.com um, did that back in the late 2000s. Um, they basically, it's a toothbrush head with a vibrating motor on top. And they popularized this idea that I think had been around for quite a way, long time beforehand, but they really popularized it. And that was a really just fun activity. And, but the, the problem with the activity was you had to essentially take apart an old cell phone or pager to get the vibrating motor out of there. That's what all the directions online said. So we just took the time and effort to find the right toothbrush head and the right vibrating motor that worked well together so that the project would scoot around the table, would, would zip and zoom and move. It's super high interest because it's a moving thing. It's pretty inexpensive. And really, any kid 10 years old and up could do it without adult supervision. It was just easy, high-interest kid fun stuff. But the problem, like anything, was just finding the right components. And we went through so many toothbrushes out there over the years. We, we went to dental supply companies and said, hey, send us a sample of every single toothbrush you have. We want to try them all out. And I remember once sitting at a conference table at a local company and saying, listen, I've got a box of electronics here. Just bring me all your toothbrushes. I'm going to make robots for half an hour. Then we're going to buy like 10,000 toothbrushes from you right here and there. Um, that was years ago. We actually make our own toothbrush heads now. Uh, and actually, even our motors are custom for us as well. So you're you're not taking apart existing toothbrushes, are you? No, no. Well, we used to. We used to cut the the heads off. Now all of our toothbrush heads are they come like injection molded, finished and customized for us. So there's no industrial waste. Well, also too, I found that like my biggest issue when I was a teacher was I could find toothbrushes, cheap toothbrushes from places, but it was really difficult to cut the heads off. It took us a while to find the right tool to cut off those heads. And um, other companies sell bristlebots as well, and they make teachers cut the heads off. It's really tough to do with a pair of scissors. You don't want kids doing it. Um, You need, uh, we used garden shears, like rosebush cutting, um, tree trimming garden shears, um, titanium tipped, to cut the, the heads off the toothbrushes. But another thing we do is it saves effort on our part and it's a nicer, nicer thing. It still looks like a toothbrush head, just a little bit different, but they're great. They're just, they're high interest. You can do a lot of fun things with them and they're a crowd pleaser. Every kid smiles when they see or make one because they're just, they're silly. And they're basically used then to teach kids the basics of uh, electronics in this case? or Yeah, it's really, it's an engineering challenge. Making one is simple. Making one do something specific is really difficult to do. Uh, so we're controlling it entirely based on balance. And for that, we use a couple of pipe cleaners or toothpicks or really anything you can attach to it to change the balance. Like training wheels on a bicycle, it helps it stay up as well as help it go in one direction or the other. But by having the kids modify, change, troubleshoot, 
and document what they do to their bristlebot to get it to do different activities to to finish different challenges, we get the kids thinking about how structure, motion, and engineering all kind of come together. And the best part is the bristlebots are completely random. So what might work for one kid will probably not work for another to get it to complete this challenge. So it really makes them think and troubleshoot and just try things out in a really just easy and fun setting where there's really no right answer and no wrong answer as long as it kind of sort of works that way. Uh, but it's nice and open-ended. And again, it, it's an easy activity for them to do entirely on their own. Uh, which which is the fun part. <laughs> I think you also have a lot around paper circuits. Oh, paper circuits are fun. Actually, it's my go-to way of teaching electronics because everybody, no matter if you're a six-year-old child or a 90-year-old adult, can put tape on paper. It's just something that it just works. Uh, and doing paper crafts is something everybody does as a child in every classroom um, since kindergarten onward. Uh, and so it's just a nice familiar way to get kids involved in both arts and crafts, but also making simple circuits, uh, parallel circuits, switches, interactive paper crafts galore, but also doing unique things for them. My pitch to teachers always is that with a box of our supplies, you can have every single child in the classroom make a different project, but they're still doing the same learning objectives. It's just that you might be doing a red squid and I might be doing a green pterodactyl. It doesn't matter. We're both learning the same thing, completing the same activities, but taking something that's uniquely ours with us. And the best thing too with paper crafts, it scales up and down so easily from just a plain, simple circuit up to Arduino-level programming with tape on paper. Now, our big thing is that we try to provide a lot of lesson plans and materials and like nice uh, worksheets, diagrams, um, all sorts of classroom things the teachers to use. So they don't have to make those up on their own. Um, but also, we provide our really awesome maker tape, which is a lot different from the copper foil stuff. Even we used to use copper foil back ages ago. But our maker tape is something we developed for a different product, and it's a nylon-based tape. And that lets us do just so many more different activities and projects because it's strong, flexible, and durable. And I can make a, a circuit on basically any substance or any surface, and it'll come right off when I'm done. I like doing... Uh, circuits on windows those are really fun because then you can make a cool design with your tape then add leds to it and it'll be visible from the other side of the window oh, that's a great idea well yeah it's just a, something i tried doing back when i was using copper foil tape in my classroom and my joke story is that i made a christmas tree on the window of our classroom with copper foil tape and i could not get the copper foil tape off again because it's so weak and so fragile i was trying to scrape it off with a with a knife blade and it wouldn't come off um, so it's probably still up there now. Whereas our nylon tape, you just one peel and it all comes off really easily. So it was Christmas all year long, probably. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I, that was my last year of teaching. I tried a few weird things, and I don't uh, I don't know how that turned out afterwards. It's been been a few years for me now. But that maker tape is really really handy for all sorts of activities. We even use it for um, wearable activities too. Instead of using conductive thread, we'll use conductive tape instead on a jacket, a shirt. Uh, we just made a conductive tape bracelet on fabric because being a fabric tape, it'll bend and fold really well and not break. And it just is a very quick and easy way to make a wearable. I, I like conductive sewing. Don't get me wrong. It, it works really well, but it just takes a lot of time and effort. And usually it's a higher skill level activity than most students are willing to put in there. Even most adults are willing to put into a project these days. But we made a lab coat in about five minutes with eight or nine LEDs on it for just a fun activity at a trade show once. And it was quick. It was easy. It looked really nice. And when we were done, we just peeled the tape off and threw it away. 
It's awesome. I, I think I will need some pictures for the show notes for that. So let's uh, talk talk a little bit about the, the prices of these. And also, are these shipping to Europe and Asia or just the US? For shipping-wise, we do sell through Amazon and you can on our website. And both of those will, will ship to Europe and Asia. Uh, we also sell through a ton of teaching catalogs, both in the United States and Canada. And most of those places will ship internationally as well. We are currently getting our products up on the website robotshop.com. Um, they're a big international seller that does direct distribution in uh, Europe, the UK, and Japan, as well as the US and Canada. So that's a nice way to avoid paying extra duties, tariffs, and shipping fees. Because the biggest issue most uh, people in Europe have when ordering directly from us is international shipping gets expensive, especially for some of our, our bigger kits. And it just makes it not affordable for them. And that's one of the big things we try to do is make our things affordable. Now, our, our projects and our our kits range anywhere from uh, $20 all the way up to thousands of dollars. Most of the things we just talked about are in that $20 to $25 US range for a small, what I call like a home version of the kit. Um, like our small paper circuits kit is $25 US. You can make 10 or more projects with it. Um, and then we have big classroom sets is really what we sell a lot of to schools and libraries, summer camps, after-school programs, scouts. And those usually are about $100 for 25 students worth of materials. So we try to keep all of our make-and-takes anywhere from $1 to $5 at most um, as, a, as a cost per child, which is a nice range for schools to live within. Anything more than $5, it just gets too expensive for most uh, schools to give away. Then I also noticed that uh, you have something up on the website called Crazy Circuits. And for me, that's like electronics and microcontrollers combined with Lego. So what is Crazy Circuits all about? Crazy Circuits, I, I kind of joke that I made Crazy Circuits out of spite originally. Um, you laugh, but it's true because I was really enthralled both as an educator and as an individual at all the really awesome modular, modular electronics projects out there. Um, to, to name drop places, things like Little Bits or CircuitScribe. Mm -hmm. They are great products. However, they are expensive. And it seemed like every time a new system came out, it was even more expensive. And it was just to the point where a single child's worth of materials would cost a couple hundred dollars for my classroom, and I'd have 25 kids. So there's no way I could afford that. And that just really, really, really rubbed me the wrong way because these things would have been very useful, very helpful for my classroom. I just, I just couldn't afford them. So over the years, once I left teaching and was doing this on my own, I spent a lot of time thinking, how can I make a modular system that was kid-friendly, high interest, but also low cost? And I kind of came to the realization that Lego was the thing that everyone loved and everyone could use. And quite frankly, everybody likes Lego. Everyone knows how it works together. It's three-dimensional. It's inexpensive. Everybody has some in their home. I even have my Legos from, gosh, 30 years ago when I was a small child. I still have them. They still work just fine with my modern-day Legos I purchased for our office. So what we did was essentially we took standard components, things like LEDs, switches, buttons, battery holders, and I put them onto little circuit boards that were designed to have Lego holes in them. So they'll just pop on top of any Lego grid, any Lego piece, naturally. And then I used our, our maker tape to then connect them together. We have some three millimeter wide uh one-eighth inch for people in the U.S., uh, wide maker tape, which is the perfect size to go between or on top of the Lego studs, and just makes for a very easy natural grid network of building circuits on, on something everybody has, everyone knows. And the nice thing is, I the, the pitch I do to teachers is that 
kids are essentially making a Lego circuit board. It is standard components on a piece of plastic with conductive tracings on there. It is a real circuit board. If I made this circuit board out of uh, from a factory out of fiberglass and with mach- big machines, it would be fairly identical to the thing I made on Lego. The same components, the same tracings, the same overall look and feel. It's just I did it on a machine that took me you know several weeks to get the product in first five minutes on Lego. And so we've just made up a whole bunch of different parts and components, everything from simple parts, like I mentioned, up to Arduino and other microcontroller-based components to do larger projects with. Yeah, very cool. So you mentioned the simpler parts are something like LEDs, right? And maybe some, some motor components. And it's, I think these are called chips, correct? Correct. And so what's available here? So we have LEDs, motors. Um, how many components do you have? Well, there's the components that we physically make ourselves, and there's also all the components that we designed and have up as uh, open source parts as well. So we early on, we made a decision to make all of our parts completely open source. If somebody wanted to go online right now onto our GitHub repo, uh, which is github.com backslash brown dog gadgets, you'll find all the components we sell and then all, oh gosh, a bunch of other dozens of other components that we've designed but never manufactured that yeah. that work with the system. You could take those to different PCB manufacturing websites, such as oshpark.com, and get some small components made up in small batches um, and then solder them together yourselves. And so we have, gosh, I'm trying to count up. I always forget because we just added a couple new components recently. We've got 16 or 18 components, I want to say, that uh, we have we have for sale on our website and then dozens of other ones online. And we're, again, just produced two no- new ones. We produced a potentiometer chip and then a NeoPixel chip those little just showed up about a week ago, and we're in the process of making up a microbit, a large, larger, more interesting microbit board, so we can make some lesson plans and activities and curriculum for that. Since a microbit is such an interesting microcontroller. And just talking about these um, lesson plans, I noticed that also the, some of the kits they come with small printed cards, and I guess these cards can be used to just kind of kickstart yourself into these projects, right? And they're probably used and very useful at schools. So what's the idea of these cards? So I always like having physical materials in our kits. Something that's a good reference point that somebody could open up the box and just make something right away with the materials that are in there, as opposed to, say, going onto the internet, looking up stuff, going to a website, watching a video. And so for all of our Crazy Circuits parts, we made a, a big effort to design these little cards that tell you what the part does, how it interacts with other components, and gives an example of a simple circuit that uses that component. So it's a nice reference example for the kids to understand how the parts interact with each other, as well as be able to make something instantly. They don't have to go onto our website or anything. It's just, it's there for them. And again, for a classroom setting, it's just a nice, again, nice reference for the kids to have. I just always, yeah, always like when I have something physical for the kids to look at and feel and use. And those are just always so handy. And those are things you can't really do with programming boards because, Programming requires more than a small sheet of paper to make something interesting. Uh, but we can for these simple circuit parts. And if nothing else, it's a good reference on on how they just interact with each other. Then there's also robot buddies that I've seen on your website. And I think that's especially suited for younger kids. W- would you agree to that? And what is it? So robot buddies is a just a, a set of projects we put together to work with our origami circuits kits Uh, by request we had a lot of teachers asking us if we could add vibrating motors to our paper circuits activities and so we had been using some self-sticking motors with a different project for years uh, with our solar cockroach from the beginning 
And those worked really, really well with just paper crafts. So peel off the backside, stick it to paper, and it it stays there. You can make a vibrating paper craft. So we're always trying to find like nice, interesting three-dimensional projects to use with our origami circuits kit. And we came up with the idea of making the robot buddies as a kind of paper doll. The robot buddy template is literally just a rectangle, a three-dimensional rectangle um, that you can add LEDs and a vibrating motor to and then decorate up. So we've just keep adding new um, skins and outfits and designs you can put on to this simple structure to be creative with holiday based things, science fiction based things, just weird stuff when we're kind of bored. But the robot buddies was just a, a fun free template that kind of evolved into a whole bunch of interesting uh, outfits and whatnot, as we kind of were looking for fun, fun things to do. And it's just, it's a nice simple way to make a three dimensional form. We even did a write up on how to use a, a paper cutting machine, such as a cameo silhouette or cura cut, how to load the robot buddy template into that. So it's easy for a classroom teacher to say, cut out a bunch of those templates um, ahead of time for their students, as opposed to having them physically cut them out themselves. Uh, again, depending on, on how you, you run your classroom or the age of your kids, it may be easier to cut out a bunch with a machine than have them sit there and cut for ages. Just get to the fun decorating electronics part of it. Um, cut out the, the grunt work. Yeah, very cool. So Brown Dog Gadgets is in the STEAM education market, right? And you're based in the US. So uh, the question I would have is, how did you see the STEAM education market change over time in the last years? Well, in the past 10 years I've been looking at this, uh, it really went from um, kind of the maker-focused world because I think most of the big STEM companies and STEAM companies that kind of that are still around now, they started out as really in the in the maker movement, seeing that there was a need for more interesting things. Often these were people coming out of universities with an interesting idea, like Makey Makey was a MIT Media Lab project. Um, a lot of them are funded by Kickstarter, but they really kind of focused first in the maker community, the home market. And then kind of slowly bled on over into the education market and then started to focus on the education market heavily. Uh, Sphero, for instance, which is a really, they make an interesting product. They first started as a home item, and now they've announced that they're going to really just pretty much entirely focus on the education market these days. And I see that the maker market as well has kind of peaked and then dropped a bit here in the U.S., uh, but there's just been a kind of a, a change of focus from that home use to classroom use. However, the focus has always kind of been, especially with the home and education market on like more expensive items. And it's just been a really big struggle. I think for a lot of companies to make things as affordable as possible, especially as the market gets more and more and more busy. There's a, I always say there's a lot of people competing for the hundred dollar to $200 price point uh, market for kits. But there's not a lot of people competing in the lower market just because the margins aren't there, especially if they take an investment um, from venture capital firms, that there's a, a kind of an, a, a push from their investors to make higher profits, sell things at a higher margin. So we've just been very lucky that we couldn't make more expensive things early on. So we kind of focused on those simple make and takes, which has kind of helped us make a, a very nice chunk of the market for ourselves and like that very niche area. Um, where we can make a really nice quality make and take, but at a price that works. Because I know too, like it's it's a fine line for us, and it's been a struggle at times to keep things being a nice quality for our customers, but also keeping them low enough of a price point that they can afford it. And I know we've had to pass up on activities, good projects, good materials, because we just couldn't find a way for us to make any money selling them. Um, 
so it's just it's been just a nice interesting change over the past 10 years seeing how companies have changed with the maker market into the education market but also a lot of companies haven't changed either which is always been an interesting thing to me there's some companies who they make one thing and make one thing very well and then they just never change never evolve which i think eventually will will hamper them but i see people like circuit scribe i i, I like their conductive pens um they're that exact example they started from a kickstarter campaign really focused on the home market teachers picked it up as a interesting thing for use in the classroom and then they've been shifting towards that education focus the last several years and also been trying to lower their prices heavily to appeal to the education market and to a wider audience but I, it, it's just it's been a, it's a weird market it really is because things are often very slow moving in the education market here in the u.s i, I joke that i could invent the cure for education cancer but no teacher would be able to buy it for a year or two because their buying cycles are so long. It's a crazy combination, actually, taking the maker, right, the, the maker movement more or less with the education market together, right, which is like super fast and super flexible. And the other thing is like relatively slow moving, actually. Well, you can look at 3D printers. They were touted as um, this great thing for education and being sold heavily to schools, marketed heavily towards schools, even two years ago, 2018. But they peaked and then fell off the map. I, I used to see them at teaching conferences all the time. And starting last year, nobody had any. Uh, it just, the interest went away really quickly because no one found a great way of fully implementing it. There was a lot of hype behind it, a lot of grant money, a lot of education money being thrown at it. But no one knew how to use it, and they became expensive toys. And that's always a big pitfall for companies with more expensive products. How do you make it sustainable long term? And how do you keep getting more and more customers? Because something like a 3D printer, which are awesome, we have one here in our shop, your school doesn't need to buy one every year. They need to buy one for a classroom or two for a classroom, and you're probably good. So you always have to constantly find new customers. And it's that's a big struggle. That, that's where us doing make and takes also has been really good for us because we like to make sure we hang on to customers year to year. The kids make something, take it home. Hopefully next year their teacher likes their stuff enough, they'll come back and buy again. But again, it's a, it's a very fine line to be walking with price points on that. Now, it's, it's an interesting struggle and the education market doesn't make a whole lot of sense at sometimes. So what's coming up in 2020? Besides um, fighting coronavirus, of course, right? Is there something special that you want to share that you're working on that we can look out for in 2020? Our big thing we'll be working on this year uh, are some new components for our Crazy Circuits lineup. Um, we've done a lot of business this past year with large classroom sets with attached curriculum. I have a curriculum writer, Andy. He's awesome. He writes some really great curriculum for our Crazy Circus materials, and we're expanding that into a micro-bit uh, setup for our Crazy Circuits classrooms. So we've been working quite hard on a, a useful micro-bit board, because I know a lot of uh, uh, micro-bit boards are out there. There's a lot of really interesting ones, but we want to make sure ours worked well with Lego, but also had a nice couple nice features on it as well for classroom use. But then designing curriculum around that, promoting that to schools, showing that off, and meeting with teachers to get their feedback on there. But it's a lot of curriculum writing. It's nothing <laughs> nothing all that exciting, especially now that we're not going to any trade shows. Um, we're, we're just making new materials and posting them on our website, making a lot of videos. We're live streaming a couple times a week, showing off projects and activities. We've even managed to drag in a few of our friends at other STEM education companies, uh, such as like Squishy Circuits, uh, TechnoChic. Uh, and so we just try to get them in and talk about stuff they're doing as well. So we can help interact with teachers who are stuck at home or parents who are stuck at home and do a little promotion and show like, what, what can you do that 
you know, we're making this live. It's not that tough. You and your kids can totally do this on your own. Because I know uh, I always like to say you have to get the parents over the hurdle uh, of interest as much as the kids. Because sometimes parents are a little uh, afraid to try new things, especially if they have to teach their kids about it. And electronics is a fairly new thing for a lot of adults. But uh, if we can show like, hey, it's not that tough. You can totally do it. And your kids can totally do it. it. It Everyone walks away happier. And hopefully they'll buy something as well. Joshua, thank you so much for this interview. That was excellent. Um, I wish you all the best for 2020. And hopefully the Corona thing is over very soon. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you very much. I really appreciate you having me on. I hope you enjoyed this episode in which we explored Brown Dog gadgets and their fun and educational low-cost project kits. If you want to find out more, head over to kidslab.dev to check out the show notes. Next up, we're talking to Dr. Andrew Robinson about CodeBug, a single board computer similar to the Microbit, which teaches logic and coding in a fun way. 